Hey everyone, Aaron for the Match Cut Podcast here. Uh, just a little heads up, this episode does get political because we are talking about the Holocaust. Uh, if that's not your thing, or you need a little break from politics right now, completely, under- completely understand, you know, join us for the next one. Anyway, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome to Unmatched, a Match Cut episode where we talk about a singular movie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Before we get started, if you've got a suggestion for an episode or want to get a hold of us, you can find us at Match Cut on Twitter or at MatchCutPod at gmail.com. Today, we're talking about Life is Beautiful, a comedy slash drama written by Vincenzo Cerami and Roberto Benigni directed by Roberto Benigni, starring himself alongside Nicolette Brasci and Giorgio Cantorini. Writer-director Roberto Benigni is better known for his Italian cinema, uh, for movies like The Tiger and Snow, Down by Law, and Pinocchio. Uh, Vincenzo Cerami is written with Benigni on several movies, and besides those, is best known for Open Doors. In 1930s Italy, a carefree Jewish bookkeeper named Guido starts a fairy tale life by courting and marrying a lovely woman, Dora, from a neighboring city. Guido and Dora have a son and live halfway together until the occupation of Italy by German forces. In an attempt to hold his family together and help his son survive the horrors of a Nazi concentration camp, Guido reimagines the concentration camp as a game, and the grand prize for winning is a tank. Uh, Life is Beautiful is currently rated in 8.6 on IMDb and the 21st highest rated movie. It is in the company of movies like Parasite, The Silence of the Lambs, Interstellar, and Saving Private Ryan. Because it's a good movie. Yeah. uh, So when did you cry? (laughs) I actually didn't cry at this one, um, which is strange for me. This would have been a movie I would have thought that I would have cried. Um, mostly I was, I mean, if we're going to talk about the end of the movie, when Guido just gets like shot in an alley, I was more like shocked than anything else. I, uh, had remembered that scene when my mom watched this, I think around 1999, like I had walked in towards the end and she kind of just explained Mm -hmm. the basic setup. And it was that scene where he's, you know, pantomiming an exaggerated goose step. And being led away from his son's hiding place. And then he's just shot. Yeah. It's like unceremonious. It's just, just like real life. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I, I was, I read up on this movie just to get a little bit more backstory. And, you know, while it's universally well liked and um, Roberto Benigni, um did uh, he himself is not Jewish and made sure that like every step of the way he was consulting uh, a local like uh, Jewish uh, group in Italy. Cause this was filmed on location in Italy. Um, mm-hmm. He, the, it was, you know, a little controversial because some groups felt it was making light by not showing, you know, true, a hundred percent real events depicted during the Holocaust and having the comedy aspect of it come through. Whereas that Mm -hmm. was, you know, that was never Roberto's intention was not to make light of the Holocaust. It was 
based on yeah. his uh, a family member's own experiences in the, the the concentration camps, as well as a book, How I Beat Hitler. Yeah, where uh, the, the so the framework of the story is based in reality, but the actual events are obviously not. And so that was kind of lambasted by some members of the uh, of certain communities. And I can understand that sentiment, but at the same time, you know, Schindler's list didn't get everything right either. You know, there was dramatization mm-hmm. there and that's not to say that Schindler's list is a bad film, <laughs> <laughs> but it's coming from different things and wanting to do different things because I think Roberto had a, a very earnest desire to tell a story about life being derailed by history. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, I mean, from everything I know, which isn't everything I didn't realize, uh, why, uh, was it the Ethiopians were showing up in Italy? Oh, yeah. You know, my uh, my history isn't all the way there, but I have read, you know, several accounts of of concentration camps. Um, some of my family, you know, escaped from the Nazis. I had a grandfather who had to pretend he was Christian in a monastery to avoid the Nazis. Uh, my grandmother was on some of the last passports out of uh, Austria before the Ger- the Germans came, and so it. It's it's been something that's been in my family. I went to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and I hear that all that sort of stuff. Not to interrupt your point, but I hear that the the, the Shoah Museum in Israel is really uh really hard <laughs> to. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't there a part where you're walking along and it's like a glass topped floor, and it's just all the shoes? Yeah, yeah. Similar to several scenes in this movie, like when they're collecting clothes or, you know, when eventually when Guido finds the stumbles upon the piles of bodies. Um, I, I don't think that they shy away from much of anything in this movie. Um, the way I kind of viewed it, uh, apologies for interrupting no your point, is that, you know, this movie is not being seen through the eyes of the adults that knew the horror you're seeing Mm -hmm. it somewhat through his son's eyes that he was shielding from all these horrors. Yeah. And some of that I think is in like the scene where he pretends to translate the rules. Like you never (laughs) go back and hear what the actual rules are, you know? Um, And definitely the scenes outside of, outside of the kid's view are very real, but whenever, whenever, uh, Josue or Josh, I think, as the uh, subtitles translated it. No, tra- I saw it translated as Joshua. Joshua, that's right. Yeah. No. Um, what it would be. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever he's there, it is it is a much lighter tone. But that's you know deliberate, and there's you know there's little references like that a kid would like think back and get like early on when they're there the. The father saying, "Like, well, you didn't ask for a snack, right?" It's like, <laughs> "Oh, be- because you did good. Here's some extra bread for you." And it's clearly mm-hmm. the father is not eating all his foods so, to make sure that his son survives. Yeah, like, and I think a very important part of this movie also is that it's not all concentration camp. Like, 
a lot of it, uh, I, you know, probably half of the runtime is spent outside in building up Guido Dora as characters and a very, a very charming romance. Oh yeah. Like I would marry uh, Guido in a heartbeat <laughs> guy, guy is charming. He, he talks that the scene where he appears in the, the school cause Dora is a, a primary <laughs> school teacher and yeah. pretends to be the, the Roman official uh, <laughs> that is just making fun of all the in, insane fascism. Mm-hmm. Which um, another point I think that gives this movie uniqueness is, you know, we know the Holocaust and fascism from a German perspective pretty well and the effects mm-hmm. on, on Germany and, you know, most other Holocaust film are, are centered around, you know, Poland or Austria or Germany itself and those camps there. Whereas this is Italy and, you know, Italy's role in the Holocaust is understated to the point where most people don't know anything about it. And I know very little, um, a, there isn't a, a massive Jewish population in Italy before or after, but it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I know some, know of some anecdotal stories of towns basically hiding the, all the, the Jewish heritage, like that happened at a fair amount of places, but like there were so few Jews in Italy in general that like, the few towns that did it are like the only instances that have occurring, but there were individuals that were sent off to camps. Yeah. Um, I really found it interesting that the, when you first get into the story, very clearly the fascists are already in power. Mussolini is already in power mm-hmm. and they're gearing up for war and war is already actually pretty much occurring and i think the the whole thing with the ethiopia part is they're gearing up for the invasion of ethiopia which yeah uh, as a, a history note the italians fail so bad that that's what causes germany to basically begin the process of taking over italian military command and just using them as auxiliaries mm-hmm. um, throughout the defense of italy Italians are not in charge of their own military <laughs> because they did so poorly previously. Yeah. And there's even uh, anecdotal uh, German accounts that like, no, no, the, 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 the Italian soldiers are, are brave, fine fighters on par with the, the best of the German soldiers. Their, their leaders, however, are all idiots. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, and well, World War II was, it was a, you know, change in how warfare was fought. I mean, continuing on for World War One, but anyway, we don't need to go into why, but um, yeah, a lot of the beginning of the movie, I think does a, does an incredible job of, of humanizing them and, you know, kind of throwing back the curtain and, and gives you this stark comparison to, to later in the movie, you know, when you see, the Jews, um, as well as, you know, homosexual prisoners. There are a couple like with, you know, the, the inverted triangles. I actually didn't pick that up for, uh, yeah. For gays and lesbians, um, different patches on the, on the stuff, you know, you, you spend a lot of movie getting to know them as people. And then you have this stark dehumanization later in the film where it's just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to pick out the elderly and gas them. You know, the kids are going to 
disappear. Um, and especially one that sticks out is the scene with the doctor or, oh. you know, the several scenes with the doctor. Yeah. The, the doctor he, who, who he met, you know, previously working his normal job and clearly had a very fun uh, interaction with uh, his server who was, you know, Guido. Um, mm-hmm where they were both giving each other like brain teasers of, uh, of riddles. Yeah. Calls him like this, one of the smartest, you know, people he's ever met, but you know, and then he, and then he shows up in the concentration camp as a, as a doctor there. And you think that there's a hope for this guy in recognizing the humanity of another human, (laughs) Yeah. who has been dehumanized through through propaganda and and you know a fascist leadership and it is that's i think one of the you know the sec probably the second most heartbreaking scene is is when he he says i need to talk to you he pulls him aside of the party you know you think that it's like all right he's you know at least gonna save guido and his family and it's just like i need help with this brain teaser it's like you motherfucker like the, the look of despair that Guido has, because that was his thinking is like, Hey, this doctor that I knew before that, you know, he, he, he pulled me, he pulled me off this detail and he's having me serve the officers. So it's like, he's getting a, like a more prestigious position, which things like that happened all the time. They would, mm-hmm. you know, valuable Jews would be, given lesser details depending on what they were able to do to help the the Wehrmacht in their efforts. And so the, the doctor pulled some strings to get him as a waiter rather than hauling anvils into a smelter. <laughs> yeah. From sunup to sundown. And I one of my biggest laughs is like, I'm gonna go home and start an anvil factory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I really care for Guido. <laughs> He's a great guy. But uh, to the point of you caring, you know, this this comedic actor, Roberto Benini, is able um, to sell this look of despair, like this reserved despair. Like, I can't let this mask break because, mm-hmm. you know, I have to stay strong for my kid. And so I'll just, you know, help him with this th- this riddle but th- this is it. Like I got to figure yeah. something else out. Yeah. And yeah. And, and it's a good, it's also good in demonstrating like, you know, the concentration camps and the extermination of, of Jews and other undesirables, you know, we're built on the back of people like Dr. Asshole, you know, going along with this whole plan and, you know, and, like the famous poem, it's like, well, first they came for, you know, the communists and I wasn't a communist. And I think, you know, to bring this into modern times as we sit here, you know, one day after the election, there's a lot of complacent people who I think partly go along with, with the racism of Trump because it's not targeted them. They're the safe yep. group, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was reading, uh, uh, a little blurb that was talking about why the Biden did so poorly in Miami when they expected him to do well. And it's like, well, for the last two years or two and a half years, the GOP has been calling him a socialist and mm-hmm. the 
heavy Cuban population, which while aging is still, you know, still around, remembers when the communists came to power in Cuba and they had to flee for their lives. Mm -hmm. And so socialist is communist in the minds of a lot of people, despite the fact that they are not the same thing at all. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. But propaganda is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Um, And speaking of uh, propaganda, there there is a part where at a, a, engagement party dinner party that guido is waiting on (laughs) that dora is attending with her her fiance who she clearly doesn't like who is also a dick yeah (laughs) Uh, screw that guy on so many levels um right where her was it her the school the headmistress of the school or was that her mother uh, I think it was the school's headmistress I, i believe that's the same person from the inspection where they're they're talking about like you know oh a math problem that they got to teach the kids where it's like there's you know cripples cost the cost the German state this many and the mentally uh, handicapped cost the German state this many and the unemployed cost this many you know how do how do you how do you solve this problem it's like oh well, it's yeah. a, actually a simple addition problem you just add it up and divide it by this number and that's how much the German state saves by killing them all. Yeah, like at an average of four marks per day, how much money would the German government save by like exterminating, you know, 300,000 people? And I think that's a, a really interesting point this movie brings up. It's like the the normalization of the Holocaust before it actually took place was known to the people. I recently listened to another podcast called Behind the Bastards, and he is citing... Uh, in this two-parter, a book called Little Nazis, which was about all these otherwise normal individuals that went along with the Nazi party plan because they thought, oh, that's just rhetoric. They don't actually mean it that that severely. Or, well, I don't know any of the people they're talking about, so you know, I'll be okay. And they were. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was very much a scene like that. It was like, you know, you normalize it. Um, when Guido was in the school making fun of the, the the fascist, you know, the Roman fascists and all that, there was a big statue behind them that was like peace through guns and um, fascism is perfect, I think is uh, like perfect fascism, peace through firepower, basically. It yeah. was like a giant monument in this classroom. Yeah. And it's just kind of there. And again, like we don't necessarily see that, but there is, you know, similar propaganda within our school system of, you know, American flags in every classroom kind of thing. And the pledge of allegiance daily. It's like, how is that different? Yeah. Another book I can recommend if you're interested in how otherwise normal people go along with this stuff is uh, one that I read in college called Hitler Youth, uh, Growing Up in Hitler's Shadow, which kind of details the experience of one boy growing up as the Hitler Youth and kind of the way that these ideas were presented to them. And it's just like, you know, hey, one day my Jewish friends disappeared and I was told it was a good thing. You know, and, and when it starts and when it starts from that young, it's it's a tough thing to to shake. Um and a lot of, you know, also a lot of Germans like 
didn't know that concentration camps were happening. I was actually going to say that that's actually not necessarily true depending on the generation. I mean, you knew mm. that your neighbors were disappearing. You knew that you didn't necessarily know a hundred percent what was done to them, but the German propaganda ministry literally sent camera crews and whatnot to record an idealized concentration camps where it's like, Oh, it's just a work camp for these people. We're we're making sure they're, they're beneficial to the state. And it didn't touch on necessarily the extermination part, but you know, the South, the, 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 the cities of, you know, Buchenwald, Auschwitz, uh, Dachau, like these were all cities that already existed that they put the camps nearby. So mm-hmm. you're seeing truckload of truckload of people coming in way bigger than the camp, you know, that is there. Like there's, it is yeah. illogical to uh, assume that people were not dying there. Yeah. Because these yeah. trucks were coming in full and leaving empty and always leaving empty. Yeah. A general, a general unawareness of what the true purpose of the concentration camps were, especially like even the showers, you know, you have roles in the extermination of, of undesirables, you know, that are so segmented that like no one person really feels responsible for the ultimate death. Oh yeah. And- that That's definitely something that little Nazis kind of puts on uh, display is that every, everything is so compartmentalized and bureaucratized that, the individual was disempowered from thinking they had a chance to stand against it. Yeah. And that's like the, the evil of um, the evil of bureaucracy and relating it to modern times, you know, a lot of people can feel like they're not subjugating people or being racist, but you know, they support companies whose policies or, or, you know, in, through racist laws, you know, disenfranchise people. And it's, you know, it's not equivalent, you know, it's not directly leading to someone's death. Well, I mean, some of our policies are directly leading to deaths or mutilations or forced uh, surgeries on people, you know? Yeah. Sorry. I should say outside of the literal concentration camps that we have now, I'm talking about like institutionalized racism, but yes, we are also putting people in cages and performing hysterectomies, which is like this fucked up eugenics program. And, you know, to bring it back to the movie a little bit, you know, these are people who lead full and rewarding lives and have kids and have, you know, loving relationships and have more to contribute to, you know, global society as a whole. And you can't just stick them in fucking cages and take their kids away. I don't like, I don't fucking know how we're here or how, like, after the election, almost 70,000 people look at the past four years we've had and fucking ch- check a box that says, yeah, let's just keep doing this. Let's, you know, four more years of Trump. Like, yeah, that, you know, but that's how, that's how fascism works. It's not these big, and that's a, a detriment of education of history. And, you know, that's, uh, I'm going to bring up a point that maybe not a lot of people know is West Germany was allowed to write the history on what happened with the the Holocaust and they created the clean Wehrmacht uh, myth and that was taught and that got taught 
in America as well, because, well, we need West Germany as an ally against the, the communist forces and the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, the, the evil USSR, which I'm not going to get into the whole USSR, any of that, but we, we made a deal with the devil to make it palatable to be allies with the very people that allowed the Holocaust to happen and were the architects of it simply because it was easier than prosecuting them all at Nuremberg. If you look at the history of America's involvement in the, the denazification of Germany, we just said, eh, do it yourselves. Now, mm-hmm. eventually Germany did get their shit together and has denazified and is way more anti-fascist in the, as a Western country than most elsewhere in the West. Yeah. And unlike the U.S. recognizes a lot of the things that, you know, were big parts of of the Nazi regime, like they leave up uh, certain like street markings. They have massive memorials to Holocaust victims, you know, that are um, I believe it's the one what's where is the one that's just like the massive stone plinth in Berlin, I believe. In Berlin, yeah, it's like this massive, brutalist architecture that is hard to go around and like impacts people's days. And you know that's the that's the point. Is like we cannot forget what happened here, where the U.S. is is saying like, ah, you know, let's leave up these Confederate statues, or let's ide- let's idealize these Confederate, you know, generals. Or, you know, let's strip away some of what the Confederate flag means. And another thing that, like, when they set out to demonize Jews, Romanies, homosexuals, communists, like all these people, they they looked at the U.S. for inspiration mm-hmm. and looked at our oppression of African Americans. And at some point, they said, well, we'd never get away with wholly what they're doing in the U.S. because that system is just way messed up. And then, you know, also we try to whitewash that stuff. You know, you have people learning that in schools, like, oh, we actually gave the people we stole from Africa a better life here or, you know, like, and it's just, it's worrying and disturbing and awful and a whole bunch of other things. And I mean, that's what happens when you give the, you know, the largest state that makes the most textbooks is Texas and they were a Confederate state and they had Mm -hmm. slaves. And so they write history textbooks that basically slavery isn't a slavery isn't a factor. You know, I, I think it was behind the bastards or hell of a way to die or um, uh, lions led by donkeys uh, each three history podcasts that I would highly recommend uh, that are on the more left side of the spectrum um, where only recently they mentioned that like being taught that slavery was a key facet of the civil war is a thing in some Southern States. Yeah. It's like what, you know, obviously there's the whole conversation. We're getting a, a lot off topic, but you know, that's all about states' rights. I think we kind of knew that we were going to. <laughs> yeah, with everything that's happening here. But I think it's important to to bring up that, you know, this normalization of atrocities, is, and it's presented in the movie. You know, the the the, the start of the movie, there's a little joke where, the, oh, the king is coming and all that. And 
mm-hmm. you know, Guido accidentally like convinces people he's the the king and he's doing a, a fascist salute, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and, he was trying to get people out of the way, but it looked like a, a Nazi salute. And and so everyone's cheering for him because their their breaks are off. And then when the real king comes by, like everyone's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. Um, and you know that's a thing that people don't realize is that, that you know Ital- Italy was a kingdom of Italy until it became the you know the fascist dictatorship under Benito Mussolini, mm-hmm. um, and who started out as a socialist. Sure, I, I think he was always going to be a fascist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ostensibly was working for the Socialist Party until he realized, like, eh, maybe there's a better way or what he thought was a better way. And that that involved more control. Yeah, the trains, they run on time. Um, mm. You know, I Why think not it, oregano. <laughs> I think it's definitely a disservice that uh, our, our history teaching and understanding of it doesn't start and focus a little more on Italy because – Germany was copying Italy. Mm-hmm. You know, fascism is really kind of a an Italian invention, and they don't get the brunt of the blame because, well, it was never as bad in Italy because, again, they didn't have as many Jews. And yeah. so to so that point, there are, are you know, uh, moments in the movie where you're just Guido and his fr- – is it his – is his friend Matteo or – who is his friend? I think Bartolomeo. No, uh, Bartolomeo is. Um, oh, in in, in the, the concentration. Um, I don't think it's listed here, but him and his friend are moving to this Italian, this larger Italian city for job opportunities. Because guess what's the <laughs> middle of the friggin' depression? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but the you know the city is you know whatever you can do it, and there's a. a some fun stuff that that gets called back in the in the romance story with Dora later, where you know he's picked up all these little idiosyncrasies of the of the city, and like uh, a key will fall from the heaven, and yeah. <laughs> Maria uh, send down the key, and <laughs> that was a great little callback. And just every moment, he's just impressing her more and more. It's like, <laughs> please send me a sign of a a a, a dry hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and it, it's a great romance that kind of takes you away from the reality that slowly they're becoming more fascist. He Guido ostensibly moved to the city to open up a bookshop. Well, only certain numbers of bookshops are allowed to be open. You have to start the application process, yada yada. yada. Oh, by the way, you're also a Jew, so that you know that'll make it tougher for you. Yeah. And Eventually, after he's had his kid, he's married Dora, and you know there are a few years more into it where I think we're getting closer to the invasion of Italy, uh, starting with Sicily by the American and British forces, which again is something that history does a terrible time of teaching at all. That hey, the reason we invade Normandy is because we stalled in Italy. You know our ra- yeah. race race like. During the the during the lead up to uh, op- Operation Overlord, the invasion of Normandy and the retaking of Fortress Europe, we were in you know Monte Cassino. We were in Anzio, like we were fighting constantly. But then it's treated like, well, there was some stuff in North Africa, and then America <laughs> invades it, uh, you know, France, and then we, you know, and then it's Captain America just punched all, uh, out Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there and. Unfortunately, from the other side, there's this 
there's this re- uh, revisionist history being taught in Russia, and this isn't to decry Russia's uh, efforts because the vast majority of German forces were committed to in Operation Barbarossa to the Russian front. Mm-hmm. America and the, the Western allies didn't fight the cream of Germany's crop until they had been until they were redirected from the Eastern front. Yeah. Um, but in Russia right now, they're kind of teaching that, Oh, the Western front was not needed. Didn't really do anything. And so there's (laughs) this ridiculous, like, you know, pop history in Russia where it's like Russia did it a hundred percent alone, which is ignoring all the efforts of the, the Western allies with the lend lease program, the code breaking, the, the, the bombing efforts and the 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 North African and uh, Italy and the Greek campaigns that existed. It's like it's called right. a world war for a reason, because <laughs> aside from like South America and direct action from Central America and Mexico, every single nation committed forces to the fight. Yeah. And the U.S. effort in the, you know, in the Pacific. Oh, yeah. It completely ignores the fact that the U.S. fought a world war basically alone, mm-hmm. which my simplification is dec- is <laughs> pulling away from the, the, the Chinese-Burma-India theater of, you know, China with its insurrection against the Japanese occupation, India with its fight against the Japanese, as well as New Zealand and uh, Australian forces in the Pacific theater. Yeah. We were talking about Russian pop history. <laughs> Look, we were actually talking about a 1999 <laughs> film called Life is Beautiful originally, which is yeah. about Guido trying to marry Dora and keep his son Joshua uh, safe from the horrors of the Holocaust. But yeah. here we are because <laughs> everything is interconnected and you can't talk about one thing without going on massive amounts of, uh, of tangents about the other. Yeah, what's the quote? History doesn't repeat, but it sure does rhyme. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I think something uh, to reiterate and refine the point. The thing I really like about this movie in the beginning is Guido and Dora and you know Guido's uncle are all trying to live their lives, work their jobs, and mm-hmm. make. And then this other thing is happening in the background. Yeah, you know, they're, make the they're, world of brighter place, you know, through comedy, basically. Yeah. And there's the time skip that occurs and Joshua's born and obviously they married and Guido and Dora married. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's sandbags around the, the, the statues and there's a German military presence everywhere, but life still continues mostly normal. You know, mm-hmm. Guido was able to open his bookshop. Uh, not many customers, but hey, he, he at least has that. And you can tell there's a love and happiness between Guido and Dora. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, uh, this isn't going to end well, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, especially in these times, like I give this movie absolutely a hearty recommendation. I'm obviously not the first person to it is the 21st highest on IMDb, but definitely do watch it. I think it does an excellent job of showing, you know, a singular human element in in an event that impacted millions and millions of people. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I definitely think it shows the human aspect of like, you know, as brutal as the Holocaust was and fascism is that, you know, the average person is still going to crack jokes. Like humans mm-hmm. like making other humans laugh. Yeah. And yes, death camps, they're, they're called that for a reason because people were executed in mass in them and it doesn't shy away from it. You know, there's a scene where Guido's older uncle is being let off to the showers, you know, mm-hmm. with the showers and the kids, with the elderly and the old and the young that were brought to because uh, you can't use them. Uh, right. And uh, a German uh, Frau who, uh, you know, drops something and the uncle picks it up. And it's like he's going to be murdered in a moment and he's still showing you know humanity and like he's very aware of what this is because earlier in the movie they the uh, you know fascists shaved his horse and painted it and wrote you know jewish horse on the side and guido makes him it's like how do they know the horse is jewish i didn't know the horse was jewish <laughs> you know I, I think it's interesting that guido's character very clearly isn't like a practicing jew he's jewish by heritage and like Mm-hmm. at least that's the sense I got. And it's like, yeah, it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. So when a government tells you that it's us versus them, you know, take a good look at the them and realize that that is rarely, if ever the case. And it's always the same them. Oh, it's the immigrants. It's the undesirables in this country that is helping the, those illegal immigrants, you know, these borders, Oh, they're too loose. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. been too, too liberal and all that. It's like, just yeah, read up on Weimar Germany and the problems that, uh, you know, it actually had and the failures of them and the rise of fascism. And you will find a startling amount of similarities to America right now. And guess what? It was literally a hundred years ago that this was happening in Germany. Yeah. So stay woke. And uh, I hope you all voted and please continue to vote. And if voting doesn't work, get some training from the local Socialist Rifle Association. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are guns, too. I prune the trees of liberty and all that. Do you have any other thoughts? Because I just want to make one closing statement. Uh, fun fact, Roberto Benini and Nicoletta Brasci are married in real life. That's really sweet. Yeah. I wonder if their romance was anything similar, because that would just be <laughs> the best. It would. It would indeed. Did she originally fall out of the second floor of the barn and he sucked uh, <laughs> wasp venom from her leg and they kept r- literally running into each other on accident? In in my mind, they did. <laughs> you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> facts and logic. Yeah. Um, my feelings don't care about your facts. That's very true. <laughs> uh, you have I just, one more thing? I just wanted to say, in case it wasn't obvious, um, Aaron and I stand for Black Lives Matter. We stand against fascism. We are Antifa in thought, if not action. Uh, Those that believe in the antithesis of those points are the enemies of all humans in, in the world and do not deserve a place in a polite society. Um, yeah. 
get out there and stop what you can. We come from, you know, my grandfather joined the Army Air Corps to ostensibly fight Nazis, and he was the one that was dropping the bombs on Nazis. So I'm a fan of punching fascists in the face because they deserve it, because (laughs) fascism does not exist or it doesn't deserve to exist in a polite society. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I absolutely agree. And, you know, also make an effort to reach out. Like not everyone is reachable and know where your time is wasted, but it also, this can't be an us versus them. Like reach out, try to educate, don't respond to internet trolls. But if you have someone in your family who is, needs needs some learning try to give it to them uh so we'll we'll put some links down below if um you want to do some additional reading or if you want to see like where your time might be most helpfully spent um you know resisting fascism and all the terrible stuff uh we'll put some links in the description also if if you know you need help or resources those will be down there as well and uh, we'll be back with some uh, some lighter movies later. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, still coming this month. We got Dune and the versus the uh, Valerian, the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, when Dune was supposed to release in theaters this month. <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see you then for that. And uh, stay safe out there. Have a good one. <laughs> stay woke. We love you. You are loved. You are seen. Uh, From the Match Cut Podcast, I am Matt. I am Aaron. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.